Now don't get don't get scared and start turning off your radios, huh? I'm not advertising or trying to sell you anything. If the mouthwash you're using uh, is uh, not the right kind and it tastes sort of like sheep dip, why you just have to go right on using it. I can't advise any other kind. So. Welcome to Bacon, Beans, and Limousines. This is a Will Rogers Memorial Museum podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Crumweedy. Guys, and I'm Bart Taylor. We want to welcome you into the basement. We're feeling fresh, fancy, and free. It's episode 17, and it should be. So guess what we have a little bit for you? A little bit of silent movies, a little bit of Will, as usual. So I say sit back, relax, pop on those cowboy boots. We'll see you in a bit. All right, guys, welcome back in. You know what, Bart? Mm-mm. What do you want? I'm feeling pretty darn good. You know why? Because this is the second take? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I think this is going to sound a lot better than the first time we tried. But also because this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, that you're listening to, uh, this is now an award-winning podcast. Whoa. You hear that sound? That was me hitting the award on the mic. <laughs> Just so you can kind of get a feel of what it feels like to hear that. It's... Uh, at the OMA, Oklahoma Museum Association's annual conference, we received a award for the best uh, technological... That's how they spelt it. That's exactly how it was said. <laughs> uh, the best uh, piece of um, technology uh, outreach. And medium. Media. Yeah, yeah. And it worked out good, I thought. I needed to memorize what that says because I was grasping at what, it, what really? that award actually specifically said. <laughs> I know. We kind of just went up there... Real excited, like a couple of boys getting an award, just didn't even read it. It felt great. It um, felt great. It was great. So we were uh, more than pleased uh, to receive that award. It really felt good for our efforts here to be recognized. And um, tell me, we also did a presentation as well. Yeah, we, uh, Bart and I, along with uh, Anna and Aaron from the Pawnee Bill Ranch podcast. Give we, those girls a shout out there. We presented a little uh, a session. Um, on the topic of podcasting and museums. We did that at the uh, Oklahoma Museum Association Annual Conference as well as the um, Mountains and Plains um, Annual Conference. And it was about the arts and science of podcasting. Yeah, so... And I didn't, you know, a lot of people were like, the science of podcasting? But there's quite a bit that goes on behind the scenes. Little did you know, Bart actually wears a little white lab coat. Yes, I do. And a stethoscope. Yeah, he's got a he's got a microscope, some um, all that all that chemistry stuff. I've got a periodic table charts right behind me. Yeah, he does. Just um, it's just my thing. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, enough of all that. We're just pleased as punch to receive it, um, and I want to thank everybody that listens for making this podcast. Uh, all million of you. Yeah, millions millions of listeners plural. out there. Plural, I guess. Uh, so. Um, Tell your friends now that this is an award-winning podcast that you, you don't should, have to be uh, as embarrassed as you were. Yeah, when you were first listening to this, you know, keeping it from your family, <laughs> listening to it while you're in bed under the sheets. This is something you can be proud of here, right? <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay. Well, Jacob, let's say uh, we get to the content and yeah. just quit this. Enough of this. Let's get to what you guys are actually. All right. Well, let's for. take a quick commercial break, as we do, and we'll get back to it. Right back. Okay. Suppose you are the star of one of those new motion pictures. Oh, yeah? You want to be your best and perform with a plum, so you reach for a hot cup of Tewigian coffee. 
Tawidian coffee is brewed to perfection with the finest coffee bean and the purest of hearts. Tawidian coffee. Freshly brewed brilliance. Have you tried yourself some coffee today? Tawidian coffee. Back, 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 back. Thanks, Chris Berman. Not a problem. All right, guys, let's get right into um, a little bit uh, about what we're going to talk about today, and that is silent films. Oh, great. Are you going to be silent the rest of this episode? Yeah, that's actually what we're going to be doing <laughs> in this episode is... I hope um, so. Just remaining silent. That right there. Uh, that is <laughs> a lot of awkward pauses. Makes for awkward radio. Um, <laughs> well, guys, um, what we're talking about now is uh, Will Rogers' um, move into motion pictures. Um Specifically at this point, obviously, is uh, silent films, which, uh, as you might guess, uh, by the time we get to this point in Will Rogers' life, what is making Will Rogers popular isn't just the image of Will Rogers, but Will Rogers speaking. Right. So it's kind of a, a strange transition. You know, what makes Will Rogers so popular isn't really what he's going to be doing for a little bit. But um, let's uh, let's uh, kind of jump right into where we were last, uh, last time um, by... Uh, in August of 1918, uh, Florence Sigfield had issued a kind of a, a warning <laughs> uh, directed at a lot of uh, his stars, uh, his Broadway stars. Wh- what he did, he stated that uh, um, he had exclusive contractual control over the professional services of all the cast members of the Ziegfeld Follies. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, any cast member that appeared in any of the motion picture of these new fangled motion pictures... Uh, without his consent. Did he say newfangled? No, he didn't. Thank you for I sh- that. I sure did, though. <laughs> okay. um, You're supposed to be silent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> without his consent, he um, he would sue the film's producers uh, for damages. Okay. Yeah, see, that's uh, I like that information. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, he did this because um, motion pictures, as we've talked about in previous episodes, um, were really becoming the most popular medium of right. theater entertainment that was out there. Uh, you might remember um, back, this is kind of a callback to episode 13, um, when we were talking about Ziegfeld and, you know, mm-hmm. how Zig, how quickly, I'm sorry, not Ziegfeld, vaudeville, when, um, how quickly vaudeville productions kind of started to disappear. Right. Um, in 1909, about 50% of all the theaters in San Francisco were vaudeville theaters. By 1914, um, vaudeville theaters had kind of started to diminish, and there was about 30 different new motion picture theaters. Okay. And by 1917, just a few years later, um, there were 100 motion picture theaters and only four vaudeville And this theaters. had to come out, this, I mean, there had to be a breaking movie. Some, wasn't there a breaking movie that made this all, you know, come to fruition? Like the pictures, you know, oh, we yeah, knew this yeah. was going to be our next big medium? Well, yeah, the, um, I think it was The Birth of a Nation that was really oh, one right. of the first. D.W. Griffith? Yeah. That's right. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I have, and it's not the greatest. It's uh, <laughs> pretty pretty terrible. Let's just say that. I've honestly never watched it. Yeah, it's it makes fun of African Americans pretty badly. It's, K- so. it's about a KKK. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But you know, it, at the time, it was it was a big, big, huge deal. Um, when it came out um, in February of 1915, it grossed about 50 million dollars. Which that, that's more that's than most crazy. Adam Sandler picks these days. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And we're talking about uh, maybe a two dollar ticket. You know, that's what. So all you go to said he said most people are paying two dollars a ticket. Yeah. Um, nowadays you go to the movies and it's like twelve thirteen bucks. So. Yeah. Um, 
Now, when uh, Florence Sigfield issued that warning, <laughs> he did it out of fear, um, not only that he would lose some of his biggest stars to the film industry, but also because it would impact and interfere with his own productions. Right. Obviously, you know, he didn't want to get into a, a run of the 1918 Zigfield Follies. Right. And get halfway through and lose W.C. Fields. W.C. Yeah. You know, to, to, to the film. Um, so he issued this warning because, you know, it, he was trying to protect himself. Um, but you might recall, um, as we said, you know, back in a couple episodes ago in the, with the, the Zigfield Follies, um, they didn't actually sign contracts, Will and, and Mr. Zigfield. I mean, they, they did hands, everything right? by, on, on you know, handshake deals. And, uh, but the problem was, I mean, Will wasn't immune to the call of the motion picture industry. It's still right. kind of something he wanted to do. Yeah. He saw everybody else doing it. And, uh, you know, we'll get into more of the, when he actually produces his own stuff. And uh, he's yeah. taken, you know, he's had these mentors all along. And I think he's watching, you know, Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford and what they did with United Artists gathering up all the big stars of the day uh-huh. and making a conglomerate of, you know, great stars and producing their own stuff. So, you know, we'll get in that here in a second, but I think Will thought, Hey, this is, this is easy. You know, I could probably do this myself. Sure. Um, now, you know, in 19, 1918, um, he actually had some ties to the film industry. Um, Samuel Goldfish. Um, and that's a real name by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually wasn't his real name. In fact, it was, uh, Boy, I don't have that in front of me. It was a. It was Samuel Perch, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! I think he was Polish, and it was a something I sure as heck cannot pr- pronounce. So yeah, I will not try. try. <laughs> um, but uh, Samuel Goldfish, um, which he he formed uh, Goldwyn Pictures. Um, he was the principal there. Right. Um, he produced a number of female-dominated films. Um, by 1918, and really by this point, he was looking to produce something that would um, appeal to male audiences as well. They used to call his company the Old Ladies Home, I believe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so he was trying to get away from that, um, and he hired um, someone named Rex Beach uh, to help write. And that's and, a, uh, that's another real name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all these cool names back then. <laughs> uh, to help him write, uh, create some of these um some of these uh, films that would appeal to men as well. Right. Um, at the time, he was really uh, very famous for, you know, v- adventurous stories mm-hmm. um, of the American West and things that would appeal to guys. Um, actually, some of these uh, books that he wrote were adapted to the film over and over again. Uh, one specifically, um, some of you listeners might recognize the spoilers. Um, this was actually made into a movie five different times. Oh, wow. Um, one was, uh, starring Gary Cooper. I think that was the 1930 version. There was another that starred John Wayne in 1942. Um, there so there you go, mister. <laughs> that was okay. I guess it was great. <laughs> that's why we're that's an award winning podcast. And that's why there's no budget. <laughs> um, well, um, you, do you want to talk a little about, um, the pre before he started getting into the silent films or, or. Do you want to tell them a little bit more about Sam Goad Fish? Or? Well, I was, I was going to finish my thought here. No, I don't think so. Silence. <laughs> well, anyway, Rex Beach, um, the connection that I was talking about just a second ago, um, Rex Beach's wife was actually the sister of Fred Stone. Ooh, um, Will's mentor. Fred Stone. I'm sorry, the sister of Fred Stone's wife. Oh, the two of them, out. yeah. Okay. Um, so that connection was there, and uh, Mrs. Beach um, – kind of had the idea, man, Will Rogers would make a great lead in, in some mm-hmm. sort of guy film. That's funny that Miss Beach thought, 
he'd be good in some sort of guy film. And later on, Rex was, you know, making sure that, or pushing to write, you know, for Will to write more. You sure. Because it eventually would write the uh, peace conference, uh, you know. Yeah. Peace conference book. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah. No. So, you know, they were starting to um, do some pre-production work on Laughing Bill Hyde. And, you know, Will Rogers would just be perfect. Mm -hmm. But the problem was this was in 1918 when he was still a part of the Ziegfeld Follies and kind of yeah. had an agreement with Mr. Ziegfeld to right. continue his production with them. So that was kind of a um, a rough point because he didn't know what to do. I mean, what should I pursue this new I know, cool he's been, area? It's been so stable for so long. Yeah. You know, he's finally got his family out there. You know, he's uh, he's moving up to the next medium. It's almost, you know, I could see why you would be afraid to move to something that's not even been explored, you know, right. thoroughly. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a completely new form of entertainment that had not been ever conceived before. Right. Um, so um, they had, Will Rogers and Florence Sickfield had such a mutual respect for one another. Um, and we went into that last, in the last couple episodes, but um, he decided, uh, Will Rogers rather decided um he would continue to perform for the 1918 Ziegfeld Follies. I right. Mean, he had he was a man of his word. He had shook hands and agreed with uh, Mr. Ziegfeld that he would continue to work with him um, for that year. And so, um, but he also wanted to do this film too. So he did both. <laughs> um, and that's actually kind of significant because Will Rogers never missed a show. Um, he continued to perform uh, both the matinee and evening performances of the Follies uh, during the standard run in New York City. Um, he would also travel with the show uh, when he went on the road, like we had talked about mm -hmm. last episode. Um, and he would even occasionally appear in the Midnight Frolic, all while also filming a, the Laughing Bill Hyde. That is nuts. It's absolutely crazy. That because, is nuts. I mean, think about it. If you're doing a matinee performance and a evening performance, plus occasionally doing the Midnight the Midnight Frolic. Yeah, you're not seeing your family. Yeah. Whatsoever. I mean, you are working all the time. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he was getting – at this point, the compensation – we could go into that. That that was tremendous what he was getting paid. Um, by the final year, I guess he had gotten a 33% raise, you go to brought up. So he was making $2,200 a week. And um, this is with the Follies? This is with the Follies. Okay, yeah. And I mean, we were, remember when we started, it was about 450 350 a week yeah. in vaudeville. What, yeah, and exactly. And, you know, even when he got started doing uh, the Midnight Frolic, he was just getting, what, it was like $650 a yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is still crazy amount of money back then. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, but he is, uh, he's really making, raking in the bucks now. He's, I mean, one of the most popular entertainers in the world. And that came at kind of the right time because Fred Stone, or sorry, uh, Fred Rogers was about to be born. Mm -hmm. his, uh, his fourth kid that he named after Fred Stone. So yeah. We always know that Fred's important to Will, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And for those of you who don't know, I don't remember if we mentioned this on another last episode, but... Uh, he passed away when he was in his infancy. He was only um, mm -hmm. less than two years old when right. he was uh, died of diphtheria. Right. And that really had an impact on Will. I mean, he didn't really let on like it did, but it really impacted him. Um, anyway, by, 19, by 1919, after, after the run of the uh, uh, Ziegfeld Follies, you know, Will Rogers had really committed to this change in career. Um, and it was this change in career was going to bring about many changes oh yeah it's not it opens up the pandora's box that you know that that is will's skills you know will's skills yeah it really does show that um and again most most of the time that we've been talking you always see someone pushing will and in, uh -huh. in, in a in a correct direction yeah 
and it's always one of his buddies from the entertainer side. Yeah, advising advising them to yeah, you should you know get into Broadway mm-hmm. shows or vaudeville, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, even back to you know the Wild West days. Um, so yeah, at this point, and for the first time in like 13 years of his professional life, he's not performing on a stage. Right. Um, and really, his asset, what made him so popular, was the fact that he was a humorist. He was funny. He was, he could deliver something, and something about his, you know, Western drawl and you know his his um, kind of homespun dialect. That's what made him appealing. Oh, definitely. And now he's breaking into silent films, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's a it's it's a risk, but you know I think it's a. We're all glad that he. Oh <laughs> made yeah, that it risk. paid off dividends. Sure. <laughs> so he uh, ended up signing a contract for the nineteen nineteen year um, with Goldwyn Pictures. All right. Um, that uh, that contract it called for uh, Will Rogers to report to Culver City, California. Okay. By June sixteenth, nineteen nineteen. Uh, to begin one year of filming um, at a salary of $2,250 per week for 52 weeks. And that's, that's where I think I got my money mixed up there. But we can go over that and edit that out. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was also an option for a second year um, at $3,000 per week. Right. Okay. So this is, a, I mean, that's a, <laughs> considering what he was making with the Follies, I mean, that was a, I mean, that's a big step up. and. But the amount of work that he's doing is going to be um, significant. I think he, in that first year, I mean, he had filmed, well, with his initial contract, he had for- filmed like uh, 14 different movies, uh-huh. silent films uh, during that time. But, um, you know, after Will Rogers notified Florence Sigfield of his decision not to return to the 1919 Ziegfeld Follies, and we mentioned this last time, uh, Zigfield threw a uh, kind of a going away party. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. I like this part. Yeah, and he presented him with that watch uh, that we mentioned, the platinum watch, um, pocket watch that said it was an indigo watch, I believe. When was it? Yeah, <laughs> a little uh, push yeah, button light up. glows up, glows in the dark. Will just couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was really, really ahead of its time. <laughs> Casio jokes. A little bit of <laughs> yeah, calculator right. on it. Yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah, I want to kind of further what you were talking to your point there. Um, Really interesting that people kind of knew this was going to be Will's last time on the Folly stage. Um, uh-huh. And so uh, Yagoda brings up that the cooks, the waiters, they stopped service. They were watching Will the whole time because they knew that this was history. Doing his you last know? show. Yeah. Um, the New York Times even put um, most people were there to fling a few parting shots. Uh, even the chef of the New Amsterdam roof realized the importance of the occasion. He stopped work in the kitchen, stuck his head through the swinging doors, and listened until the final shot had been flung. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. You know, because they all probably got to know Will. And, you know, being Will, I bet he was buddy-buddy with most people there. And, yeah. And uh, had a good good relationship with them. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, like I said, they had done about um, 14 films with that initial um, that initial contract with Goldwyn Pictures. Right. Um, what were some of those film uh, the film names? Oh, there was a lot. Um, some of the most notable ones were Jubilo. That right, became okay. a, Jubilo. A, a theme that he would. Um, a couple different pictures were that same sort of character. The tramp type of character. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Just call me Jim. Right. Water, water everywhere. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, there, there was a lot of them. Some of them, you know, they were more about. Uh, quantity over quality. Uh, you'll you'll notice that if you go back and watch some of these silent films, they're pretty short. Um, 
you know, and there's not really much to them. <laughs> a lot of special effects, <laughs> a lot yeah. of CGI. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, uh, one thing about you know Goldwyn's pictures, it, they weren't necessarily comedies, you know. Whereas Will was kind of a comedian, you know. Um, yeah, some of those early ones, right? Will's pictures, you know, they just they were kind of the melodrama type. Um, moreover, G- Goldwyn's story department had the sense to realize that maybe he wasn't cut out to be this type of silent comedian star. So they made him this almost brand of Will Rogers melodrama. Because um, you go to brings up a good point. You always saw Charlie Ch- uh, Chaplin as a tramp being larger than life. But when Will was a tramp, he was just being Will. Yeah. Adapting those characteristics that we grow to love. Even right. I mean, the country grows to love. And, you know, like we brought up a couple of times, he, what was good about him was his own, his own commentary, what he was saying. So actually... While he was uh, filming, had this initial contract with Goldwyn, um, he would actually write a lot of the uh, inner titles. Um, obviously, if you've seen a silent film, you've got the film part and you've got the subtitles that pop up. Um, he would write a lot of that content because obviously what made Will Rogers interesting and funny was what he had to say. Right. So he would uh, actually write a lot of that, uh, a lot of that content, um, you know, do that himself. And so that humor would still shine through. Right. Um, I also read, you know, um, being as wholesome as he was with his his humor, um, that these movies, they, there was some wholesomeness, a moral suitability, um, having already come to the, f- uh, you know, being making fun of Hollywood or, or making fun of, you know, a tramp's life. Um, one day, Goldwyn decided to uh, recommend Will's movies for exhibition at the film committee of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Okay. Um, adding, he is the only star so distinguished. So basically... His movies were okay enough to watch in church, which <laughs> is go. pretty cool. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I mentioned him him doing some writing, um, you know, on the on the films that he was in. Uh, Will, I think this is kind of contributes a little bit to you know his idea uh, to get into his own production company, which we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, he started writing his own independent um, subtitles or inner titles. Um, that you know didn't really contribute to the the film itself. They were called the Illiterate Digest, and right. they were just kind of his own unique Will Rogers one-liners about you know things going on at the time, and you know have a picture of him at some point. And so it uh, it was actually kind of a nod to one of the popular magazines of the time called Literate Digest, right? And Will's Illiterate Digest. Uh-huh. It was kind of perfect, kind of cute, <laughs> a classic Rogerism, right yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you want to talk a little bit about, you know, we were just talking about uh, Mrs. Beach, you know, pushing Will a little bit, thinking he could be a great silent film star. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rex Beach, as we were just saying, um, Will worked, basically Rex um, thought, man, you know, I think Will could put his humor in writing and, and still have the same effect. Um, so Rex Beach had suggested that, um, he, that he was an author and his heart is his publisher, Harper and Brothers. Um, he wanted them to take a look at Will. So, long story short, Will worked on a humorous book about the peace conference underway in Paris. This was about November 11th, 1918, right after the armistice of World War I. Uh-huh. Um, this is more of a manuscript, you know, because it's, it's kind of tiny, and so it's not, not, not too much of a book. But this book would be published in September with the title befitting the respect now with, like we just said, Rogerisms. Uh, Will Rogerisms, the Cowboy Philosopher on the Peace Conference. Yeah. And I think we have that in the old bookshop, too. Of course we do. Oh, <laughs> I decided to drop that, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, 
at this point, like like we said, we had um, he had filmed what was it fourteen uh, different films over. I think it was a two year period with Goldwyn because it was that first year and then that option year. Um, but <laughs> you know, like we had mentioned, um, what will what made Will Rogers popular was his commentary, his voice. Right. Um, so he wasn't. I don't want to say he was unsuccessful, but he wasn't a huge box office star like, you know, Charlie Chaplin was. He just didn't quite translate to f- to film like people kind of um, expected some of, you know, different other stars to do. Um, and so in 1921, Goldwyn chose not to renew Roger's contract. Okay. Um, but this kind of um, segues into another short-lived uh, point in Will Rogers' life, another career um, – or he starts his own production company. Yeah. You mentioned right. United Artists that has just kind of... Uh, Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, W.C. Fields. Yeah, and so he kind of had this idea like, well, why not me? I can do this. Right. Um, By this time, he had made significant money um, from his inter- sure. entertaining. You know? Sure. Um, so this, this, I bet he thought this was a good bet for himself. Yeah, and you know, so he's at this point like, okay, what do I do? Do I go back to New York, go back to the Follies, or do I, or do I try to make it on make it on my own out here in California. Mm-hmm. So what he decides to do is start his own production company, Will Rogers Productions. And um, that turned out to be a colossal disaster. Right. Um, you know, he, you just don't put all your money into your project like that. Well, what had happened, I mean, honestly. But he didn't know this. The films that he made, the, he only made three. Um, Roping Fool, um, one day in 365 and Fruits of Faith. But honestly, those are some of his best silent films. I mean, they were really good. Obviously, The Roping Fool. If you haven't seen that, I mean, that is a classic Will Rogers. When Rogers you think film. of a Will Rogers film, that's almost the first thing that comes to my mind, um, even though it's a silent film. Because right. he's doing all of these excellent rope tricks that, you know, made him so popular. And most people can't even compare to those rope tricks to this day. There's sure. some that people can't even do. Oh, I can't. Me, me especially. You can't do those. <laughs> You've been here that long. <laughs> um, so yeah, he makes these films, but although they were very, you know, artistically successful, critically acclaimed, even um, the losses were just monstrous. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I mean, if you think about it, he's done so well in his life as far as financially. He's gotten to the point where you know he's living a comfortable life, but. Um, all his personal savings, bonds that he put aside for his kids, all his assets, um, they, everything had to be liquidated. It was all gone so he could pay Whew. his debts. And it still wasn't enough. Wow. So he was kind of at this point where he's like, wow. I did. And a lot of people, when you know, when people, guests come to our museum, they're always, oh, Will Rogers was always rich. Always. Yeah, but it's always interesting to bring up the fact that he, he lost was, it all. But he did lose it all, and he made it all back. Yeah. And then some. So – Really, these next couple years after after the failed Will Rogers productions, you know, because it was really at that point, you know, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, I mean, there were, you know, countless vaudeville stars, you know, that had gone and made it big in vaudeville and even might have done something beyond that and then just fizzled out because they didn't make it. Right. Will Rogers could have easily been that, but he wasn't. Right. I mean, honestly, came, comes back to his work ethic. I mean, the next couple years, uh, five, six, seven years, for that matter, I mean, he worked harder than he ever had before right. to get to back to the point where he was. Right. Um, and he had to rebuild everything, you know, until he was back to the point where he wanted to be. You know, one th- thing that was really interesting, you know, as he 
he's losing all this money from producing his own films. Uh-huh. The one positive thing I think in his life is that he gets to move to California and establish his family finally there, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, this brings about the fact that you can actually record, you know, a movie or whatever he's doing for the day and come home to your family at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, whereas you were just saying in the same episode, he was so busy in 1918, right? you know, with the Follies and, and doing two shows a day and then doing the Midnight Frolic and whatever else he was doing. Right. You know? So I thought that was pretty interesting. Definitely. Um, it wasn't, you know, you go to puts, it wasn't just the regular hours that appealed to Will. He and Southern California were made for each other. Oh, you know? That's a nice line. Isn't that nice? Yeah. The open land, palpable sense of unfettered opportunity were, oh man, he's using too many words that I can't say in a row. <laughs> <laughs> the open land basically um, gave Will, you know, hundreds of miles to drive cattle across to be the cowboy he wanted. You yeah. know, I think it all goes back to when he said he was sick of the barbed wire fences. Remember? Sure. You know, here you had open land. You know, eventually that would be, you know, become his ranch. But um, he uh, he found this the ethos of this place deeply congenial. Uh-huh. I know what those words mean. He had been partic- participating in um, commemorations of the end of the open range since, you know, um, 1899. But he discovered a culture out in Southern California that was being hailing the West. Yeah. And, you know, that's something interesting that, that we got into on episode three, uh-huh. you know. Well, that's that's a really good point. I like that that little bit of commentary there because you know, when you talk about ideas of what the frontier was and what it meant to people, um, you know the sprawling land, which you know was still, I mean, California that wasn't quite as you know uh, um, as populous as it was now. Mm-hmm. Um, still had that idea. Plus the like what you said there, the opportunity. I mean that's what that's what the frontier was, right? And when you boundless opportunity, when you think about the frontier on a more um, conceptual level, I mean this was it. Will Rogers was chasing that idea of the I frontier. Know. I love it. Well, uh, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, hey, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the glorification of the West um, was taking place, you know, all over um, California. Like we're talking about Southern California um, to be specific. Um, and Southern California was becoming the capital of cowboy culture. Okay, um, yeah. This is where Will began uh, began to hang out with Frederick Remington. Yeah. Charles Russell. Charles F. Lomas. Yeah. Who was the editor of the L.A. Times. Uh-huh. Um, so, so he's beginning to get these friends who are somebody in Southern California. Yeah. You know, he moves out there. Uh, I'm guessing people know who he is. He's Will Rogers. Sure. But... Uh, just think about all the cowboys. As soon as Will comes out there, who do they want to be around? Yeah, I you mean, know? Charles Russell is one of the, you know, one of the best Western artists of that uh, classic uh, period in American history, with where the American West was glorified and all that. And their their uh, relationship was a great one. And um, you know, this is about the time that they had uh, really kind of cemented that relationship, which is I always love. And if you're uh, guys that are listening. Um, if you're ever here at the museum, I mean, swing by and look at the um, Charles Russell uh, sculpture we have of Will. I mean, it's just fantastic. It One of my favorite uh, sculptures of all time. It's really fantastic. And he did he make that for Will personally? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that neat? That's a, there's a funny little story. Um, you know, he made he made this uh, sculpture of Will. He's on it's uh, Will Rogers on a horse, um, and you know he get, gave it to him as a gift and said, "Well, what do you th- what do you think?" And Will Rogers, just being, um, you know, the guy he is, being honest, said, 
Oh, well, yeah, I like it. It's real great. Um, but um, there's a couple things here that uh, just aren't quite right. Um, all the horse's feet are on the ground at the same time. You know, it's a, <laughs> the, the horse is trotting along there with a will astride him. And, but all four hor uh, feet are on the ground at the same time. He said, well, that's not really how horses uh, typically walk around. Um, and then the other thing was, well, the brand here on my horse um, was the dog iron brand. Right. But, you know, Will said, well, that's what I use for my cattle. Uh, for my horses, I actually used a wine glass. Right, okay. And it was on the wrong flank, actually. Ooh. Uh, so <laughs> That's a bad mistake. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> Mr. Russell went and made the corrections. Um, so there's actually two different uh, sculptures of this same piece. So, uh, oh, that's nice. If you happen to see one, keep an eye out. Uh, if you see one with the dog iron brand and all four feet on the ground at the same time, that's the first version. The second version if it is if two feet are on the ground at the same time. And um, the wine glass brand, that's the second version. Look at this. Yep. We are learning things today. <laughs> well, guys, that's pretty much, um, we're going to wrap it up uh, for today. Uh, we're going to continue on. Um, film's going to be, uh, motion picture's going to be kind of a, a long segment. Yeah. We're taking a couple different um, pieces here. But uh, we're going to um, pick this up uh, uh, next next time, um, again, with the silent films and and we'll get into so know. we're part two ish. Yeah, we love our part twos. We do part twos. It just gives us some more time so we can chat. Yeah, you know. And I hope that's why you like it. <laughs> they do. That's why you tune in. You know, one thing before we cut them off and say adios. Oh, did I leave something out? You always do. Mm. You left me out. Sorry. No, <laughs> um, you go to brings up a great point. This is after failing after sixteen years in the entertainment business. You're talking sixteen years without really. Messing up his funds, you know. It, it we pretty much chronicle chronologically, you know, tell you when he's getting paid, what he's getting paid through his sure. different, you know, different jobs as an entertainer. Determined to never put himself, his wife, and his children in such a position again, he threw himself into his labors, just like you said. Uh -huh. He really started to work hard, but his efforts resulted in something more than a permanent financial, you know, s stability for the Rogers family. By the end of the next half decade, through an, uh, you know, here comes the big words, a big American process, Will Rogers would become someone, the mere mention of whose name would conjure up the feelings of greatness. Yeah. He was becoming a national presence at this time. Yeah. And which is, you know, that, that is something to me that you start to notice how, how much he meant to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, our presidents, our poor people. Uh, sure. Everybody. Yeah, the um, common man. The common man. And I thought that was a cool point. Um, you know, his failures, just like anybody else, you know, you want to do better your next time around. Yeah. And uh, it's just kind of neat to see. You, you never thought he would fail, you know, and there it is right there. Yeah. You know, as everyone always says, you know, your character is developed not in the, at your high points, but at your low points. Right. This is what made Will Rogers into you know the the lasting um folk hero that we see mm -hmm. him today um and you know so like i said before he could have just disappeared into oblivion at this point but he didn't nope. and that's why he's became this um national presence absolutely well guys uh barton do you have anything else did i i don't want to cut you off again <laughs> yeah i'm sick of it <laughs> we're looking for a new host actually for a uh, matinee show i was kidding no, go ahead and with the uh, usuals. Yeah, guys, um, before we get into that, we want to uh, really um, ask you guys to uh, 
tell your friends, uh, post this link on Facebook, uh, for the episode. Um, tell your friends about us. Um, there's a lot of, uh, this is our 17th episode. So we've got a lot of, uh, material out there. Um, tell your friends to go take a listen, subscribe to us. Um, we're on iTunes, uh, whatever, um, podcatcher that you use, you can find us. Um, so please, uh, do us a favor, subscribe to us, download us. That really helps our numbers and, you know, proves that, uh, what we're doing is, um, is of import. Yeah. Jacob's worried about the numbers. I'm worried about my self-confidence. So just <laughs> download as many as possible to make me feel better. So. Yeah. We want to, uh, do our thank yous real quick. We want to thank the Will Rogers Memorial Commission and the Will Rogers Memorial Foundation for making this, um, podcast possible. We want to also thank the Move Trio for the use of their, uh, music and our, uh, theme song and the uh, music throughout. Um, and also to, uh, Calvin Frank, um, who helps us produce this show. Does fantastic work. Um, and so, uh, the sources we used this week were the papers of Will Rogers, volume four, uh, Will Rogers, a biography by Ben Yagoda and Will Rogers in Hollywood by Brian and Francis Sterling. Sounds good to me, Jacob. Mm -hmm. Well, episode 17 in the books in the books. Thanks guys. See you next time.